Well, good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing today? We're doing all right, all right. You know, when I was uh, younger, when I was growing up, I had this great sense of seeking justice. Like, I really wanted to get revenge on those that I felt had wronged me or people who were doing bad things. I wanted people, to be quite honest with you, to feel sorry that they made me feel bad. And so I did that a lot within my own family. I mean, it, it was low-hanging fruit, right? We live in a house full of people. So, of course, when they upset me, I just would get my revenge on everybody in the house. Now, I'm the youngest of four in my house. The uh, oldest was my brother. He was six years older. And the thing that you need to understand about my brother is we're total opposites, okay? My brother was really into sports. He really liked to lift weights, to exercise. He was really outgoing. He liked to get out of the house and, and do things. I wasn't like that at all, especially when I was in my middle school years. I liked to play video games. I liked to watch a lot of television, movies, liked to listen to music. Basically, if it involved sitting and eating, I was game for that activity. So we were total opposites. And what happens usually within families? There's a lot of arguments. There's a lot of fighting, especially between siblings. And that happened a lot in my family. Now, when I say this, what I really mean to say is my brother beat me up and my brother picked on me because there wasn't a whole lot of me fighting back. I was six years younger. He's a junior, senior in high school, and I'm in fifth or sixth grade. There wasn't a whole lot of competition in this area of fighting and defending myself. But there was this one occasion, and I don't remember exactly what my brother did to me, but whatever he did just made me fuming. It made me so angry that I was like, I've got to get back at this guy. I've got to make him pay for making me feel this bad or for picking on me. Now, I knew that I couldn't physically stand up for myself. I knew that there was nothing that I could do to, to hurt him physically because I just, I wasn't as strong as he was. There was no way that I was gonna get by with that. So I had to use my brain. I had to scheme, I had to get crafty. How am I gonna get back at this guy? Now my brother's uh, bedroom was in our finished basement and he had an attached bathroom. This was his own private bathroom. Nobody else used this thing. So one day when he was gone, I decided to go downstairs, walked straight through his bedroom, went into the bathroom. And I just kind of want to stop there real quick for a second. I want to make a disclaimer. I'm not that guy anymore. Okay? I have changed I've seen the error in my ways, and I, th this is not me. I've grown, I've matured, all right? With that disclaimer, please don't judge me for what I did. I walked through his bedroom, went into the bathroom, I took his hand soap, unscrewed the top, and I peed in his hand soap. <laughs> and then I took the top with the little, you know, stick at the bottom of it, and I stirred it around, make sure it was all nice and, and mixed up for him. Now, 
at the time, I thought that that was a brutal revenge. And I thought it was the most amazing way to get revenge on him for a couple reasons. A, he never found out. He never knew that I even did it. That means there was no chance that he was going to beat me up. There was no chance that, I, that he would try to get retribution and make my life miserable. And B, it was the revenge that just kept on giving and giving and giving. Every single time my brother washed his hands, he got a little bit of Andrew revenge with it. But that's how I acted. That's how, that's how I operated when I was younger. I wanted to exact revenge on people that I perceived like did me wrong. And maybe that's you today. Now, you may not go as far as peeing in someone's hand soap, but by and large, in today's world, we like to seek justice. We like to seek revenge. We want payback. We want people to suffer for what they've done to us. You go on Facebook and you see people commenting on videos left and right saying, oh, they're going to get theirs. What goes around comes around. Karma is going to get these people. But what I want you to discover here today is this. Christianity is so much different than that mindset of revenge. If you're a person that wants justice for those who have wronged you in your life, or you crave revenge, you want people to suffer for what they've done to you, or you wish bad things on your enemies. I mean, maybe you're the person who, when you see on Facebook, you see uh, this person you knew in high school that used to be just awful to you. Maybe they were a bully. They just were a terrible person. And now you see on Facebook that maybe they're, they're having a hard time. Maybe they don't have a job right now, or maybe they've landed themselves in jail, and so you're just kind of smirking because, yeah, they totally deserved what was coming to them. Maybe you're that person that goes online and says, karma's gonna get you. But I just wanna point something out to you real quick before we move on. Karma is not a Christian principle. That is not of Jesus. I want you to realize this, that if you believe these things, you may have missed the most important principle of our faith, the most important principle of Christianity, and that's mercy. And to be honest with you, if you don't understand this principle of mercy and you don't live out mercy to others, then you have to question whether or not you're actually a follower of Jesus. And, and I know that sounds really, really harsh, but that's just how important mercy is within our faith. So if you have your Bibles handy, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 13. We're going to be reading out of verse 36, and we're going to be reading about this guy named David. And David was the second king of Israel. He was a mighty leader, and under his, his leadership, Israel's military was so strong, and it was flourishing. And many considered him one of the greatest kings in Israel's history, if not the greatest king of Israel's history. You can't write the history of Israel without even talking about David. That's just how important he was. 
As a matter of fact, he was so important that the Apostle Paul talked about him. He talked about him in a, in a message while he was preaching to his fellow Jews. And, and this is what he says in Acts chapter 13, verse 36. For after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. David had done the will of God in his own lifetime. How would you like to have that written about you when you die? You know, on your, on your headstone, it says, here lies Sally. She did the will of God in her lifetime. She was made after God's own heart. I mean, that is so powerful. It's such a powerful statement to make. And that's what a guy like Paul thought about David, what kind of person David was. But you see, if you go back and, and you read the story of David and you read the entirety of, his, of his, his story that's found in Scripture, you and I would have a different thing to say about David. We would believe that he doesn't deserve this type of eulogy, at least not without some sort of asterisk beside his name. And why is that? I mean, even though David finished well, he finished his race well, he was a man after God's own heart. He did God's will in his lifetime. Even though he did this, he had a situation where he royally screwed up. I mean, he messed up big time. He messed up against God and he messed up against everyone else. When David was king, Israel was in a lot of battles with a lot of surrounding areas, constantly in battle. And on one such occasion, David decided to stay back. He did not join them in battle. And while he was staying back at home, he was walking around and he noticed this beautiful woman named Bathsheba and she was bathing and he started to lust after Bathsheba. So he get his people to, to, to round her up and, and to bring her to him and he gets her pregnant. David commits adultery. Now, you and I would think, well, that's bad enough. But David doesn't stop there. So here's the problem. Bathsheba, she's married. This is like an episode of Jerry Springer. Bathsheba is married. And so David's like, okay, I gotta clean this mess up. I've gotta backtrack here. I've, I've made a mistake, I need to fix this. So he gets Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, he gets him drunk and tries to fool him into thinking that he's the dad. But here's the problem, that didn't work. His plan didn't work. He had to formulate a new plan. He had to make a new scheme. So he decides to send Uriah to the front lines of the battle in hopes that he would be killed and that would solve all of his problems. Everything would go away. The problem would be swept under the rug and he wouldn't have to worry about it anymore. And that's exactly what happened. Uriah was killed on the front lines. Now, listen to what was said after that in 2 Samuel chapter 11, starting with verse 26. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her into the palace, and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. 
God was very displeased with what David had done. And in our books, if we were in charge, if we were God, that really would be the end of it. We would have just killed David, put him to death, sentenced him to death. At the very least, we would have plagued him with like sores or we'd have given him leprosy. And then, and, you know, then we may have paralyzed him and then struck him blind made him suffer for a couple years in that misery and then strike him dead. Because we would believe that he was deserving of that punishment for what he had done, for the despicable things that he had done. And in our culture of off with their heads and they get what they deserve and I'm glad they got hurt because they hurt me, David surely would have been dead had we been the ones in charge, had we been the ones calling the shots, had we been God. But there is a mystery to all of this, a mystery to the kingdom of God, what he employs on us. And this mystery is a mystery of mercy. See, karma doesn't have mercy in it. Karma says you get what you deserve. What goes around comes around. You deserve everything that comes at you. But mercy isn't like that at all. Mercy isn't for those who deserve it, in fact. Here's what mercy is, and this is your big idea for the day. Mercy is for those who don't deserve it. Mercy is for those who don't deserve it. David surely did not deserve mercy. He didn't deserve mercy for all the sins that he committed. But here's the thing. When David was confronted with the sins that he had committed, he didn't start making excuses. He didn't try to shift the blame. He didn't go around saying like, well, this is all Bathsheba's fault, okay? I mean, if she had just bathed somewhere else, then I wouldn't have lusted after her, and that's her fault. That's not my fault. She did this. He didn't do any of that. In fact, he got on his hands and knees, and he sought God. And one of his prayers is actually recorded in Psalm 51. He wrote this after Nathan had confronted him about what he had done and how God was displeased with him. And this is what it said in Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. And he goes on to say in verse 17, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. Oh God, David cried out, have mercy on me, God. Have mercy on me, he says, because of your compassion, because of your unfailing love. David was broken and he was repentant. And he believed and he pleaded for the mercy of God. David was in distress over what he had done. And here's what David did in his distress, and here's what we can learn from David and what he did in his distress. The first thing is this, David appealed to the mercies of heaven. He appealed to the mercies of heaven. He appealed to, to God's mercies. He knew that he didn't deserve it. He had committed adultery. He basically committed murder by having Uriah killed, sending him to the front lines, knowing that he was going to be killed. 
And in our books, this guy was deserving of every bad thing that God could have thrown at him. He deserved everything to come at him. But David knew this. He understood this. And he cried out for mercy in his distress. The second thing is this. David repented of his sin before God. He repented to God. He didn't just cry and, and throw a fit. He didn't just say, oh, well, I got caught. I guess I need to go and ask for forgiveness now. I'm sorry, God, I really messed up this time. That's not what he did. He actually, truly repented. Repenting means he turned away from his sin. He saw the ways that he had displeased God and he turned from those ways. And finally, David had a new outlook in life. He looked at life differently. He finished well because he experienced the true love and mercy of God. His relationship with God was renewed. See, there are many of us here in this room or, or watching online or outside this church, many of us don't think that we need God's mercy. We truly don't think that we need God's mercy. And I think the reason for this is because maybe we don't truly understand the gospel. If you think what David did to Uriah was bad, I've got something to tell you. There's someone that has done something just as bad here in this room, watching at home, outside of this building. There's someone just as bad, it's, it's you and it's me. We did to Jesus what David did to Uriah. Our sins nailed Jesus to the cross. But you know what God did? He rescued you and he rescued me. Even though by all rights, we were considered enemies of God, even though we fall short of his glory and his grace and his goodness in every single way, Jesus died for us. He rescued us. God showed us mercy. That is the gospel. Paul says this, that we were enemies of God, that we were dead in our sins. We were dead in our trespasses. We were sinners and God had mercy on us. God had mercy on us for the same reason that he had mercy on David, because of his compassion and because of his unfailing love. But here's what I'm concerned with. Here's what will happen to us if we don't understand this concept of, of mercy, this principle of mercy, and how important it is for us to live this out in our own lives. This is what will happen to you. You will be harsh and critical to those who have hurt you if you don't understand how mercy met you. Now, I've shared in the past my, my issues with anger and how I've dealt with this my entire life. As I was talking about at the beginning of, of the message, clearly, I've dealt with anger my whole life. And I've dealt with things in the wrong way, seeking revenge, wanting people to pay, wanting people to feel bad for how they made me feel. And I didn't care what happened to those people who hurt me. 
In fact, I wanted them to hurt. I was that guy who smirked when I saw bad things happening to other people who had done wrong because I felt like they deserved it. But I started to realize this is not right. This is not the way that God would have us live. So I started asking God to help me in this area. And I felt like God was showing me that I needed to have more empathy. I needed to have more compassion and mercy on those who have hurt me. And I realized this. The first thing that you have to do with anybody that you're angry with, or maybe you're upset with, is you have to first do what God did for you. You have to first do what God did for you. Have mercy, have compassion on them, not because they deserve it. You didn't deserve mercy. I didn't deserve mercy either. But God still shows us mercy. How do I now show compassion, empathy, and mercy to those who have hurt me? Because I think about what God has done for me. I think about how God has been merciful to my anger, to my judgmental attitude. He has shown me such great mercy in my own life. I have to. I have to show mercy to others who trespass against me. Friends, here's one of the main reasons that God shows us mercy. It's our next step for today. So go ahead and write this down. God provides mercy to us so we can propagate mercy to others. So that we can show mercy to other individuals so that we can spread mercy to everyone around us. In a sense, we're to be mercy machines where every single day we are showing mercy to those who may not deserve our mercy. And let's face it, each one of us is gonna have a moment probably sometime this week where we're going to have to put this into practice because people are going to be people and people mess up. But we have to show mercy. We have to propagate mercy. Propagate means to spread. We should be spreading mercy to others because God has provided mercy to us. See, mercy leads us to pray for those who have done wrong to us in a God-honoring and biblical way. Mercy helps us to have empathy to those who have been rude to us, who have been mean to us, who have done downright despicable things in our eyes. Mercy helps us to have empathy for those individuals who are stuck in their own prison of anger and addiction or other issues that they may be going through. And ultimately, mercy helps us to look like Christ to the world. How do we do this? How do we show mercy to individuals who just really don't deserve mercy? How can we show compassion and empathy to those who have hurt us? How do we do this? It's easier said than done. The first thing that we, we should do is this, though. 
reflect on God's mercy to you when you least deserved it. Reflect on God's mercy to you when you least deserved it. The fact of the matter is we all least deserved it the day that we were saved. We were sinners, undeserving of grace. We fell short of God's glory every single day. We messed up, we hurt people. We were sinners, yet God still rescued us. God still had mercy on us. The Apostle Paul knew all about this. He wrote at one point, I am the chief of sinners, meaning that he believed that he was the worst sinner of all. And in writing to the church of Rome in Romans 5, he talks about how we were still sinners, yet we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Now, I'm human. I wouldn't do a lot of things for my enemies. I mean, I peed in my brother's hand soap. That's the kind of thing that I did to my enemy at the time. And for a lot of us in this room, we want to get back at those who we consider our enemies. We want to see them fall. We want to see them struggle. But here's what Jesus did to his enemies. Christ gave his all for the enemies that he had. And who are Christ's enemies? It's us. We're sinners. We do wrong. We would be considered enemies of Christ, but despite this, God still sent Jesus to die for you, for me, for everybody. God still showed us mercy, despite the fact that we are sinners and we don't deserve it. When you realize this, when you start to really understand this, it changes your life. You realize that you're not just a recipient of mercy, but now you are to be merciful to others who least deserve it in your own life. Second thing is this, realize that you did nothing for God to show you mercy. Your goodness, your, your acts of good deeds, if you helped an elderly person cross the street, or you gave to a bunch of charitable uh, organizations, none of that has prodded God to show you mercy. In fact, I think that we can all agree that humanity is really good at messing up. We're really good at falling short and ultimately breaking God's heart with our actions and the things that we say. But despite our sinful nature, God showed you and he showed me mercy. You can't earn the mercy of God. Knowing this should touch us powerfully. It should speak volumes to us. People don't deserve mercy from God, yet God is merciful. People don't deserve mercy from us, yet we should be merciful. Now, merciful doesn't mean that you go running back into abusive relationships. 
It doesn't mean that you need to be best friends with those who have hurt you or put you down or made you feel bad. It doesn't mean any of that. But what this does mean is this. Being merciful to those who have hurt you means that you are able to forgive those individuals even if they don't forgive you or they don't offer an apology to you for what they have done. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them. They don't know how much they're hurting me. We should take this same stance too. You know, and the more that you're in touch with God's mercy towards you, the more in touch you're going to be with God's mercy towards others through you. You'll understand this better. If you harbor unforgiveness or bitterness or hatred or mistrust to others, then maybe you've never truly experienced the mercy that God has given to you. Maybe you've never realized all that God does to forgive and show you mercy. And finally, relish in the beauty of our loving, good, and merciful God. Relish in his goodness, his mercy, his love. Understanding this, realizing what he has done for you should spur us into a deeper love and worship of our God. How often do you pause to thank God for the mercy that he shows you on a daily basis? Do you consider all that he has done, the mercy that he shows to you? Or do you continually ask for more and more and more? God, give me this, give me this, give me this. But you're not asking for mercy. And you're not thanking him for the mercy that he gives to you every moment of every day. In the book of Luke, we see a story of Jesus healing 10 lepers. And in the story, Jesus is, is walking by and the, these 10 individuals with leprosy, they're shouting out, Jesus, have mercy on us, heal us. And Jesus heals all of them and they scatter. And then one of the individuals returns, completely healed, singing the praises of God for the mercy that was given to him for the healing that he received. And Jesus actually gets offended. And he starts asking, where are the other nine? Why are they not coming back, singing the praises of God, giving God all the glory for what has happened to them, for the mercy that they have received? Where are they? Are you one of the nine? Or are you the one giving thanks for the mercy that you have received? God showed you grace and mercy. You and I, we didn't deserve it. There was nothing that we could do to earn this grace and mercy. So we have to ask the question, what are we going to do with this mercy that we have been given, this gift of mercy? What are we going to do with it? Are we just gonna hold on to it, not let go of it, 
think it's not a big deal? Or are we gonna take the mercy that was given to us and begin to show mercy to others so that they can see Christ in us? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this mercy that you give to us every single day. We know that we don't deserve it. We know that we're human, we mess up. We deserve punishment. But you, in your loving goodness, show us mercy. We thank you, God, for your grace, your goodness, your love. Help us to not hold on to this mercy and be ungrateful. Show us how great this mercy is that you have given to us. Let us not take it for granted. And may we be a people that begins to act more like Christ, that shows grace and mercy to those who trespass against us. And may people come to know your good name through those acts of mercy. And while we're in this mode of prayer, if there's someone in this room that is not yet in a relationship with Jesus, but you're feeling that pull towards him, all you have to do is say this prayer after me. Father, I know that I have sinned. I know that I have fallen short of your glory in every way. But I know that you sent your son Jesus to die for me. I believe that Jesus was crucified, buried, and he rose again, and it was through that act that I have been made right with you today, here and now, I choose you, Jesus, to be in relationship with you. And it's in your precious name that we pray these things. Amen.